This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, a corporate visions company. Through our platform, True Voice, we're bringing you automated win, loss, and no decision analysis at scale so you can find and fix seller blind spots in near real time. With automated customer feedback from every opportunity, you'll uncover what buyers truly care about when purchasing, what your competitors are doing to adapt, and how the experience with your sales reps impact win rates. With this new insight, your sellers automatically receive the right science-backed sales training from Corporate Visions based on their individual strengths and weaknesses. It's time to get more from your win-loss analysis. True Voice moves you from just-in-case to just-in-time coaching and training. Visit us at www.truevoice.io and start winning more today. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me, Ryan Queller, for another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence, a corporate visions company. In a world where you're constantly competing for your buyer's and customer's attention, creating memorable messaging that quickly speaks to your audience in an impactful way is paramount. And as sellers, we've got to make the most of the time that we have with our buyers in understanding what messaging, tactics, and value propositions are going to build trust during the buying process. Your pitch needs to be concise and consistent across the buyer's journey. So the big question is, well, how? How do you develop the perfect pitch? And how do you help, maybe even more importantly, help your sales reps use that perfect pitch to win more? Speaking with me today, about this very important and kind of timely topic is Fractional CMO and founder of Platinum, Mr. Evan James. Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to, uh, I'm so glad that you can have me. Really excited. Yeah. Excited for you to be here, man. So before we get into this, we have a tendency to uh, let the uh, listeners hear a little bit about our guests. So before we get into the, the deep, dark secrets of the perfect pitch, First, let's get into the deep, dark secrets of Evan James. No, I'm just kidding. Let's just talk about you. Who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a California boy uh, through and through, live in uh, San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, kind of growing up in the Bay Area, I've always been around uh, tech. Uh, I've had a love of it from a, from a very early age. Uh, so I've consistently focused on being kind of at all stages of um, pre-IPO companies, uh, and it's been in a multitude of industries, everything from gaming to advertising to early days of social media uh, to the employee experience and engagement. Uh, and my my true passion is uh, everything marketing. Uh, so I'm a B2B marketer through and through. Uh, and I would say one of the things that I love about marketing is not only do you get to really work with kind of marketing folks and your marketing team, but it's really getting to know kind of sales reps. And understanding what are the challenges that they're hitting in their in their day to day, and how can you make them more effectively and communicate the product's offering as best as possible. Uh, so that's a little bit about me, a little bit about about why I'm super excited to talk about you know the perfect pitch, sales enablement, sales collateral, all of the things that go into to really being able to have the best conversation with your customer as possible. Well, as a kindred Bay Area kid. I am uh, ex definitely excited to uh, to have you on the show, and it was fun in our pre-show talking a little bit about you know some of the you know stomping grounds that I used to play in, and some of the the great nature spots that you go hang out in. And it, man, it's just great to have you on the show. So thanks for being with us today. 
I love it. And I hope, you know, one of these days we'll make it out to Big Sur together. Let's do it. Okay. Now, before we get that far, let's get into first the perfect pitch. So let's start with the negative stuff. So from, from your pers- perspective and experience, you know, Evan, why do many B2B businesses maybe lack the perfect pitch? Yeah. You know, everybody has a pitch deck. Uh, Everyone. You know- Everybody. Everyone has a pitch Every deck. Every single person has a pitch deck. But usually what happens is you have kind of that first pitch deck. You're like, all right, here's what our product does. Here are the customer needs. Uh, and they pull it together. And at first, it might be working. But as the team grows, the product changes in functionality and the market needs change. What often doesn't change with it is actually your value proposition. So really spending the time on a regular basis to review your value proposition, uh, do it from like a centralized command so that you are saying, here's what's going to most persuasively discuss our value proposition and convince our buyers that this is what we need is, is integral to really having an effective sales team. And it also means that you're able to control the message much better instead of having, you know, kind of AE number one going off and being like, this is my style and I'm gonna talk about this. And AE number two saying something completely different or even worse, marketing saying something, then it gets into the sales process, they're saying something else, then it hits customer success, and the prospect's like, this isn't at all what I was expecting. So having that kind of unified message where marketing is a part of the value proposition process, sales is thoroughly trained on it, and customer success is very, very much aware of what is being said in the sales and marketing process is really key to having the best kind of customer lifecycle possible. So totally get this, but you've said something here that that's, that's very interesting to me. So I'm hearing you say that really your pitch deck has got to be a living, breathing deck. This is not, aha, we have arrived and I've got my pitch deck. Therefore we will dominate the world. You know, so am I hearing you right? It's got to be something that's living and kind of evolving over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things uh, that I think is often missed out in a pitch deck is There are kind of three different components of what makes a great pitch. Number one is, all right, our product. What is the functionality and what are the benefits that are associated with that? That product changes all the time. The second is the market. The market changes all the time. Look at the past year. Think of different times of going through kind of like the great resignation to economic turmoil to some geopolitical things that are affecting kind of a lot of different elements of what's happening in the market. You have to adopt uh, your pitch based off of both the product functionality and the market functionality. And then third and foremost is how is how are your customers actually using your products, especially for early stage, early stage companies? They're often finding new use cases all the time. And some of the ways that, you know, customer A is using your product one year may change down the line. And so it's really about how do you kind of embody all three of those things so that you have the right context, the right content to match it. And it's as persuasive at convincing, here's why we're a leader in the space. And here's how our product is going to help you as much as possible. Yeah. So, so this makes good sense. Um, the other thing that I'd, I'd like to, to, to follow up on, as you mentioned, you know, so you don't have AE1 out there on their, on their own, you, you know, immediately my, my nerd brain went to Star Wars, you know, I'm thinking gold leader, AE1, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, what's the problem with having AE1 or gold leader, you know, red five standing by, what's the problem with 
you know, having an AE lone wolfing it, you know, and just kind of on their onesie doing their thing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, if you know that game telephone, so uh, where one person says one thing, you whisper into the ear, then the next person says it to the next person, the next person says it to the next person. And by the time it gets all the way back around the circle, the message is completely different. And so what often happens is if you have kind of a, an AE going rogue, uh, let's say they're effective, you're going to have other sales reps actually taking that pitch deck, morphing it into something different. And then another AE is going to come and see that pitch deck, morph it into something different. And pretty soon you're in a situation where you're not actually talking about the capabilities that you have. You're talking about something that AE number one said to AE number two said to AE number three, and it's not quite accurately representing what is your product value proposition. And so it's really important to have kind of that centralized control, giving plenty of room for AEs to have their own style. There's no way that you want to say, hey, you know, follow this script. Like that isn't going to work. It's, hey, here's the content. Make sure that you really understand the content, understand the features, the functionality, the use cases, the benefits, and what is the story that we're trying to tell, but go off and tell it in your own words. So uh, I, I'm, I'm totally digging here. Um, so w- w- from your perspective, why, why won't it w- won't work? Why won't it work? Let me say it. I can English, I promise. Why won't it work? Um, if you just say, look, AE fall in line and this is how it is. And we're going to remove your style and your own way of doing things. Why is that problematic? Yeah. I mean, I think part of sales and, you know, part of kind of anybody on a customer facing team is being a little bit true to who you are as yourself. Like, I can also speak English, apparently, who you are uh, yourself. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're talking in a way that is comfortable to you, uh, that is giving you confidence and is a way that you would actually express yourself. Because if I'm saying, hey, say these, you know, super technical words and you're more of a uh, relationship builder, uh, you may not ever have the interest or the understanding truly of what you're saying, and your buyer is going to recognize that. On the flip side, if you're more of like a kind of solution engineer style AE, and you like to get into the ins and outs of it, then uh, you're probably not going to want to do the the super sweeping language of like, here's where you're going to be uh, six months after onboarding our, our product, because you're not really getting into really showing kind of the, the technical expertise that you have as that person. And so all AEs, there's different um, different AEs, different people. And so it's really about like, all right, here's the overall story that we're trying to tell. Uh, make sure that you understand what our product does, how the product is used, but go off and t- tell in your own words. You, you actually bring, you, you, you bring up a good point and I'm very curious to hear your response. Um, does the perfect pitch change depending on the tenure of the salesperson, either in general with sales or at within an organization, let's say I'm a sales professional, been around for a long time, brand new to company X and just learning the product. Does my perfect pitch evolve from when I'm new, new to the organization to, you know, when I become more familiar with the product of the company, the culture? You know, I think it's more, it's evolving and it's adapting. You want to have a tenured sales professional to, to still be kind of following what is the corporate messaging that is being said, but they may have just additional context and knowledge of all the different use cases of how a product has been used over time. And so they're probably able to do a more elaborate pitch and require a different type of kind of enablement training that you would want to give to them than maybe somebody who's just come in. Now, where I would say that would differ is 
frequently within organizations, somebody who's either super senior or super tenured is going to be having taking on more executive accounts. And so, yeah, then that would definitely represent a time where your pitch to a director is going to be very different to an executive. And so if you have a seasoned uh, sales representative that has been there for years, you don't necessarily want to have them saying the same types of things to a CMO or to a CRO or to a CEO as you would to some a, a director in a different you know level of the organization. Yeah, because I mean, to, to put it lightly, uh, the different levels of the organization have different areas of focus and goals, and you need to be able to speak to their specific need with, uh, and if you don't, we're going to miss the boat. So I'm tracking here. So let's go a little bit further uh, and talk more about impact. You, you already alluded to some of the stuff that some of the impact of not having the perfect pitch, but what what other issues or, or, or problems does not having a, a perfect pitch, you know, have on an organization? Yeah, I often find it ends up you tell the what, you don't tell the why. So if you're if you're just coming out and you're kind of like having uh, this random ad hoc strategy of here's our deck, frequently it's like here's what we do, and it's not necessarily like here's why this is so relevant to you and how it's going to be utilized in a way that's going to be effective for you, and so. Taking the time, I, I love following kind of like a McKenzie-based storytelling format where you're explaining, all right, here's the situation, here's the complication, here are your problems or your or the perceived problems that you actually, either the perceived problems or the problems that you've kind of fleshed out during discovery. Uh, and here are the solutions and the, the benefits and the solutions that we're going to, to offer you. And this is where you will ultimately end up with. Here's your final result. And painting that story in a way that's really about kind of like, it's almost the hero's journey of they're, they're in a situation, then they uh, hit a point and there's some sort of complication, and then it has these problems, but then they do this thing and all of a sudden, they are seeing the benefits and they're ultimately ending at this end all state. And that's the same type of picture that you want to paint, whether you're writing a blog or whether you're, you know, building a website or whether you're giving a pitch deck. Uh, it's always about painting that overall story of who you are and why it's so relevant. And I mean, truthfully, how important is that alignment across the entire go to market team from front end marketing all the way to you mentioned CS, right? So uh, what, how important is that, that alignment in the messaging? I mean, in reality. Paramount. I think, uh, you know, messaging needs to be done at the, at the corporate level. Uh, and then you'll have subsets of that. So messaging and positioning is extremely important that everybody in the organization knows to some degree. I would say even within engineering teams, they need to know generally what is our category. Product teams need to know definitely what is it that we're building and why is it that we're, we're doing it this way? And then, yeah, marketing needs to be able to tell that story uh, as kind of like the first interaction that you would have with a with a customer. And then sales needs to continue on it. And then customer success is actually making sure, you know, it's twofold. It's making sure that they uh, are knowing what marketing and sales is saying uh, so that they're able to retain and uh, and have the best client relationship with uh, with a client as possible, but also it should be kind of reinforcing all the positioning that uh, all of these different go-to-market teams have said throughout the time. And as they're you know introducing new products, doing upsells or cross-sells, is still following that corporate line message. Okay, so I think we've we've kind of talked about um, you know why organizations lack 
the perfect pitch, the impact of not having the perfect pitch. Let's get into the actual development at a high level. You know, walk, walk us through your process of, of developing the perfect pitch. Oh, definitely. So I always start with um, a positioning statement. Uh, it's a nice, easy way to be like, let's lay out the story and let's say, all right, again, what is kind of the situation? What is the complication? What are the problems? What are the solutions? Uh, and then what are the results? And then from that, also having kind of like who's our target audience to so doing, you know, buyer personas, ICPs, uh, and um, then, you know, clearly mapping out the, the core use cases along with edge use cases. From that, you know, really then thinking it about all that and then putting it into a, uh, a really tight uh, pitch deck that is generally templated in size to like, all right, here's something that we would want to have for a generic pitch deck uh, along with a huge appendix of potential slides that anybody can pop in. Um, and then, yep, I can, I can pause there. There's all, there's the, there's then go, we can go from like the creation to the implementation, but, uh, but I'll pause and that's kind of the input creation aspect of it. Yeah. So you mentioned tight. Why, why is, why is having a tight, you know, pitch deck so important? I mean, I've sat through so many as the chief delivery officer, um, I've sat through so many pitches from vendors where, the deck is all over the place. It's massive. You know, they, they pull it up and it's got 40 slides and you think immediately, nope. Like I, I just, I do not want to sit through this, but tell me from your perspective, why, why does it need to be tight? Yeah. I mean, people are busy. Uh, I, I just sat on a call and, you know, I was, I was listening to somebody uh, talk at me um, and, you know, say what constantly not tell me why or how, or like, where is this going to get me? And honestly, uh, I started doing email. Um, it was just something where it wasn't it wasn't capturing my attention. And uh, you need to have a tight, crisp story that invokes both some sort of emotional response for your audience, keeps them captivated, and entices them to ask questions and want to learn more. And that's why you really need to have the really, really tight pitch deck that is telling that story in a short amount of time. You'll have plenty of time in later stages of the of the sales funnel to kind of get into Q&A, to uh, talk about other edge use cases, but making sure that you're really focusing on the core challenges of your prospect during that, that initial value proposition. Yeah, let, let's continue on this this thought track. So aside from people being busy, there there's just so much noise. There's so much noise and there's so much competition. And if you don't think you have a lot of competition, you're already, you've already lost because competition is everywhere all the time. 100%. How do you make your pitch stand out amidst the, the, the time crunch and the noise and the competition? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think the, even the first challenge goes one step before when it comes to how do you get that meeting? Uh, yeah, right. Because, you know, especially, and I think this will be become more and more of a challenge with the advent of AI and everything, the amount of content that is just out in the world is already a lot and it's going to increase. And so, you know, really, I believe, uh, I'm sorry, I know I'm answering your question in a roundabout way, but I, but I do want to say from the marketing front, uh, making some content that is truly valuable to your end customer is critical. So giving them something that is like something that they can actually utilize, learn something, uh, take away and apply to their own job 
to even get them to want to engage with your brand is critical at the beginning of the customer journey. And then you have to continuously hit that as it goes on. So it's like, all right, marketing puts out a great, if you put out an ebook or a webinar or something, make sure that content is really, really good. If you waste their time, they're going to have a negative brand association with you. As you're moving forward with it, giving recommendations, uh, even in kind of the insight as you're qualifying the lead and saying like, hey, great, really glad that you enjoyed the ebook. Here's this other thing of additional value. Here's an ROI calculator or something that you can take. And I would love to you know, have a few minutes of your time to talk a, a little bit more about this. And then once you get to the value proposition stage, it's making sure that yes, you're telling the story in an accurate way, but you're also customizing it so it doesn't seem so generic to the end, pro end prospect. And that it's really trying to get into what is that company facing and what is that buyer facing so that you're talking as much to them as possible. And you know it continues, continues, it continues all the way down the line till that till that deal is closed, and then actually continues after that because customer success also needs to continuously reinforce value as well. So you just did something that I think is just on point and terribly important. You bifurcated the company and the person. Uh, why is that important to do? The company goal, the personal goal. When you're when you're doing a pitch, why did you separate those two things out? Yeah, I mean, you know, companies have needs, but people have needs. And those needs um, many times are aligned, but many times aren't. So for instance, you know, if you're targeting a uh, a particular buyer, I'm not going to go out and call out one of one type of executive in this in this realm, but some buyers may want to not only uh, do something that their that their entire department is going to use, but they might want to have something that is going to deliver them some personal brand recognition. So making sure that they will be recognized internally, externally as, hey, I made a good decision of partnering with this with this uh, vendor to be able to, you know, not only say, great, the functionality and the use case of that product is great, but also like, how is this going to benefit them? So um, it's making sure that you're not only hitting on the challenges of the company, but you're also hitting on the challenges and the needs and the desires of the of the buyer. Mm, well said. Okay, so we've talked about having the the the, the pitch stand out above the noise and the competition by bringing value value at either the corporate or the individual level or both. Heaven forbid. But what is the key, maybe in your perspective, to tying your perfect pitch into maybe something greater? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I would say where you want to tie your perfect pitch into is looking at conversion rates. And so using that perfect pitch as a, a kind of like milestone of how are conversion rates going to uh, improve throughout the entire sales funnel by developing this. So, yeah, I'd say a perfect pitch is usually used at the value proposition stage. If you're investing all this time into creating that, you absolutely want to make sure that the conversion rates at your value prop stage go up. But also when you kind of roll that out to your entire sales team, you enable them, you train them, potentially do a certification process. You want to utilize uh, in a measurement um, perspective, not only how did conversion rates go up then, but also how did it go up above, above funnel and below funnel as well? Because really it's kind of like the key point of, here's the pitch of who we are, it's going to affect everything, you know, above that and below that. 
So you just, I think, talked to the second half of the intro, the, the, the top of the, the intro, I talked about the creation of the pitch, and then maybe more importantly, the usage of the pitch. A pitch that sits on the shelf is not, doesn't do anybody good. It's a, it's a dust collector, it's a doorstop, doesn't matter. So, you know, what are some keys, some ticks, tip, not ticks, what are some keys, tips, or tricks um, to, to make sure this gets not only implemented with the sales rep, but actually is used. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, I'm a huge fan of, all right, you spent the time, you created the pitch deck. Ah, fantastic. Your work doesn't end there. Uh, especially if you're a product marketer, the, the role is to, how do you then kind of make sure that that is a, a key part of a, of a larger enablement program? So, all right, you spent the time, you developed the pitch, you got kind of internal buy-in, you've got some external, you've tested externally, you're seeing this works, great, cool, time to roll it out. Don't just roll it out to the A-team. Roll it out to the entire go-to-market team. Get up, pitch it yourself, uh, and say, here's our new story. Why, why is that important? Marketing is then going to be able to adjust their content to it. Uh, inside sales, you need to not only make sure that they understand what the value prop is and pitch them on it, but you also need to do a separate training for them, provide them separate collateral. Maybe the one-pagers need to be updated. Maybe their email cadences need to be recreated, making sure that you're training them so that you can say, all right, your messaging is aligned on qualifying or doing outbound to get as many you know, opportunities to your, to your AEs as possible. Then AEs, arguably the most important, obviously for, for this part, particular uh, program. So making sure that they, yeah, receive that first training, but then they get AE-specific training where it's just, you know, let's go through this Q&A test out, do some dry runs, do uh, do some role-playing, uh, make sure that, you know, you're kind of really, really following up on a week over week basis. There has to, you can't like release this and then a month later check in and be like, you know, how's it going? It's like week over week basement basis of enablement trainings, making sure that they're getting all the guidance that they need. Uh, and then, you know, I think it's worth doing at the end of the process, a certification process. And saying, you know, essentially, we're going to start this. You're still allowed out out in the field uh, until we start the certification process. But then, FYI, you're going to have to pass the certification process before you're let back out in the field. Uh, and that will give them motivation to um, to uh, you know learn the pitch as best as possible, understand what the product capabilities are, understand how to pitch it as well as possible. And you can do it. You know, kind of. I, I'm not a huge fan of pure, you know, uh, stick. So add in some carrots, you can make it fun to be like, we're going to do a pitch competition with all the AEs, winner gets whatever it is that you want to incentivize them with. Uh, and then have that winner kind of give up and in front of all the AEs give their perfect pitch as well. Um, so I think, you know, it's not just the creation process is step one. The implementation process is equally as important. And that is step two. Yeah. So I, I love this. And you said a, a trigger word or a trigger phrase for me, and that is um, rep specific help, right? Rep, rep specific uh, coaching or teaching uh, around the the pitch, the, the perfect pitch. Um, it's been my experience that organizations don't change, people do. And if you want to increase your win rate, 
the perfect pitch is definitely creating the perfect pitch is definitely paramount. However, the individual delivery of the perfect pitch matters just as much as the pitch itself. So the pitch deck development is like you said, step one, step two, implementation and usage, and then to the rep level coaching, um, man, that's, that is right on. Um, we see the same thing in all, um, sales coaching. In fact, the biggest issues that sales coaches typically have is they don't know who to coach and on, and on what, right. They don't, they don't know who to coach and on what. So they end up peanut buttering everybody. Everybody gets the same peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't care if you're allergic to peanuts, not my problem. You know, it's just, everybody does the same thing and they, and it's very thin and it's generic and especially tenured salespeople will take that throw it over their shoulder and say, nah, I'm eating filet today, not PB and J. And so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, to the rep coaching is, is really the direction and the play that, that I see is most impactful on individual change. I love this. Okay. You mentioned a couple other measures as well. I think you mentioned uh, top of funnel conversion rates, that type of thing. You know, how do you know if the, if the perfect, if, if, if your pitch is actually perfect, how, what are some other measures that you can use in, in addition to maybe top of funnel conversion? Uh, what, what else can you do to measure? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, all the KPIs are going to buckle into one, which is, which is revenue. It's revenue, close one rate, um, and being able to say like, all right, we rolled this out. Um, you know, our sales cycle is X amount of time. Are we seeing revenue go up and are we seeing close one rate go up? And then what are all the KPIs that back up to that? So yes, conversion rate, uh, pipeline, you know, number of opportunities created, total amount of pipeline. Uh, and then, you know, at each stage within the sales funnel, maybe you have, you know, contract negotiation, how are conversion rates and what's the volume looking like that uh, then, and then going up, you know, leads, um, making sure that you are qualifying your leads at the best conversion rate as possible. The volume of leads, volume MQLs or SQLs is as high as possible. And then going into the marketing funnel, being like, hey, you know, we rolled out product marketing, spent all this time doing this perfect pitch. Did it also impact marketing? Is any of our messaging uh, more coherent? Is our, uh, is our content performing better? Um, are we generating more leads out of, the, out of, you know, kind of some of the work that product marketing did creating this perfect pitch? And so it's really like it's a full funnel exercise. Uh, each part of the funnel has different KPIs. Generally speaking, what are you looking at? It's volume and conversion rates on whatever part of the funnel it is. But ultimately, you can kind of gauge the entire success of the program based on the N2 metrics of number of closed one, amount of new revenue generated, uh, new logos up on the board or types of logos up on the board, et cetera. Show me the money. Right. Yeah. So that that's okay. So I, I get that. Another thing that I've heard some organizations, at least anecdotally measure is language, right? So what are the artifacts of that pitch deck in the, in the course, of the sales cycle, um, as it shows up in the, either the paradigms by uh, the paradigms or the language of your buyer. So if my pitch deck is sticky or valuable to them, you'll start to hear that language and see your paradigms that you're sharing with them show up in, in the way they ask questions and things like this. Do you see this as well? Is this something that you use? Oh, for sure. I mean, that is, you know, I, I think every brand marketer's dream too, because once you start to get your customers talking in the same way of how you're actually talking about yourself, then uh, you've really hit like a 
a really solid connection between your company and your and your ultimate buyer. Uh, and so, yes, I think constantly taking the feedback, having jumping on sales calls, making sure that you're understanding the language that your buyers are using so that you can incorporate that into your pitch deck. And then maybe also try testing out, introducing some things that are specific to your brand that you can really stand out from the rest of the crowd on of like, you know, I, we are, uh, I'll give you an example. I, you know, I'm, I have a marketing agency. Uh, there's a million marketing agencies out in the world, but uh, I haven't seen that many that have branded themselves as a result oriented marketing agency. And so like, that's kind of my unique, uh, language that I'm, that I'm trying to integrate into my own pitch deck. Uh, and so, uh, that's just, you know, a key when I'm seeing prospects that are saying, oh, I really want to do a, a result market result oriented marketing campaign. You're like, cool. Nailed it. I'm in. <laughs> okay. So I love this. All right. So let's talk uh, some of our listeners are, are trying to figure out how to start this, right? Start this development process of the perfect pitch. If you had maybe one piece of advice for our listeners, um, maybe on how to start, you know, where, where to begin, you know, what, what advice would you give them? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you can't, you can't fix uh, anything or improve anything until you diagnose where you're at. So I think, you know, the first, the first step is diagnosis before you even start to say like, Hey, we're going to create a new pitch deck, take the time, go interview, uh, do kind of key stakeholder interviews with all of your AEs, key stakeholder interviews with anybody else that's important in the organization, whether it's a head of department, CEO, et cetera, make sure you understand like, all right, this is the direction that we want to go in and then go off to customer interviews uh, and take all of that feedback to be able to create that first step is kind of, if you don't have established positioning, it's creating established positioning before you go off and create a, uh, a perfect pitch. Once you have the positioning, it's, you know, okay, we have the positioning there. Now we're ready to actually put this into something that's a beautiful, concise, clean story that's going to persuade the buyer to move during uh, during any sort of sales, sales pitch. Uh, but yeah, I would say the first step, if you're like, you know, we did positioning, a uh, positioning exercise, uh, never, or, uh, or two years ago, it's probably stale. It's probably worth you going and, and reinvesting the time because it will have an impact later down the line when you're actually creating the, the perfect pitch itself. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it, the, you, you've brought a full circle. If your, uh, pitch is X number of years old, damn it, improve it. Like you gotta, you gotta update the thing because it's not, it's not real anymore. Uh, the, the market, the macros, uh, people, uh, so many things that impact our human being perspective of the world and what we value or don't value or what we put emphasis on in any given moment does change. I love that advice. Powerful. Evan, man, this has been such a, a valuable conversation for our listeners. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It, it's been awesome to get to know you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. I mean, I'll do this anytime. It's it's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, and really love what love the podcast altogether. So very appreciative. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, love it. And listeners, for more from our friends at Platinum and from us here at Primary Intelligence, a corporate visions company. Visit us at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.